Matthew 7, verse 13 to 20. 15 to 20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit you will recognize them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Reuben, for reading and praying for us. Um, I forgot two announcements before. One is, after the service, there'll be a couple people over here to pray with anybody who feels that they need prayer. We'll have a man and a woman with a little lanyard to identify them. They'll be happy to pray with you should you need prayer. And then just a reminder that there is a potluck after the service. For those of you who are wondering why it smells so good in the building, that's why. So looking forward to that. As I said last week when we began this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we are coming to the conclusion. This is where Jesus starts sort of wrapping things up. He's uh, finishing his sermon, and he offers a series of warnings, okay? And last week what we saw was that he was offering a warning about the two ways that, that are set before us and that we need to choose from. This is the way of life, this is the way of death. One of these paths is a broad way and it leads to destruction, that's the way of death. And then one of them is narrow and it leads to life, that's the way of Christ. And what he was arguing was, was that you can't remain neutral about Jesus. You can't say, hmm, I've heard stories about him, I've read things about him in the Gospels, etc., and, and I'm just not sure what to believe about him, and so I'm just going to kind of remain neutral about him and his teaching. It's impossible to do. Let me explain why, by via, let me use it, this illustration. In 2022, in a little village in Tuscany, Italy, uh, archaeologists were digging there and they found some bronze statues that they said proved that the ancient Romans and the ancient Etruscans were actually more cordial to one another than we first thought. And a local historian said that this was going to change the way we read history. So what do you think? So what, right? Like, okay, uh, the Etruscans and the Romans, a thousand, two thousand years ago, they were a little more cordial to one another than we first thought. Does that affect your life in any way? No, right? There's no stakes to that. It's not like you're going to go home and say, oh, you know, I've got to rethink everything because the Etruscans and the Romans, I, I thought they were at each other's throats, but it turns out, no, 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 not at all. They were actually friendly toward one another. I've I got to rethink what I think about everything. No, it has no 
consequences to your life. You can't say that about Jesus. Jesus says, I came into the world. I wasn't just born. I came into the world, meaning I existed before the world existed in all eternity as God himself, the second person of the Trinity, and I chose to clothe myself in flesh, in humanity, to live in this world. And as I was in this world, I taught you what life was about, how it was meant to be lived, that there was a path to life that was narrow and hard because it required that you, you submit yourself to me, you give up autonomy and uh, and allow me to be ruler of your life and then there's another path that will lead you to eternal death you think maybe that when you die you just rot but actually you have a soul that goes on forever and if you don't choose me you'll end up apart from me for all eternity and I am calling you to make a decision about me I am warning you about these two paths you can't just say me you can't People do it all the time, but the reason we're doing it is because we don't want to have to deal with Jesus. And what we saw last week is that Jesus is pushing us to deal with him. That's what we saw last week. Every human being, if you want to be a thinking human being, you have to, this is one figure in history, you have to figure out, was he who he said he was or not? You don't have to figure that out when it comes to Julius Caesar. You don't have to figure that out when it comes to, you know, other world leaders in history. You don't have to do that with respect to Napoleon. You got to do it with Jesus. Now, in verses 15 to 20, what we're looking at next, Jesus goes a step further and he says, now, you got to figure out who I am. And then once you've figured out who I am, what you need to do is watch out. Because there are people who are going to come and try to entice you from the narrow path. If you choose the narrow path, if you believe that I am the Son of God who lived for you, died for you, rose for you, if you put your trust in me, you're on the narrow path, and there's going to be people who are going to try to get you off the narrow path because it's a hard path. You have to, like I said, you have to die to yourself. You have to lose your autonomy. You have to say, I don't get to decide for myself what's right and what's wrong. I have this this person, Jesus, who is directing my life now. And listen, if Jesus says it's dying to yourself because... To give up that authority, especially initially, but certainly every time you want to do something that you know he doesn't want you to do, or every time he's telling you to do something that you don't want to do, it feels a little bit like death. It feels like something in you is being killed. And so Jesus says, there's going to come people who are going to say, All that death and dying to yourself stuff, unnecessary. There's another way. There's another way. You can can have the life of Christ. You can follow a path that leads to life that doesn't require this constant dying to yourself. And Jesus says that these are false false prophets, and he warns us against them, okay? Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage together. We're going to see four things very, very quickly. What does a false prophet look like? What is the fruit a false prophet produces? Uh, Why are they producing that kind of fruit? And then what should we do about it? Four things. Here we go. First one won't take long because we've been talking about it already. 
What do they look like? Jesus in verse 15 gives us a beautiful image. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. It's a great image. Wolf in sheep's clothing. Famous image. You don't need to know anything about the Bible to hear that line, right? Watch out for a wolf in sheep's clothing. What is Jesus talking about? First of all, a prophet. What's a prophet? We typically think of a prophet as someone who tells the future, right? But actually, in the Bible, a prophet often had a lot more to say about the present than they did the future. Prophets were mouthpieces of God. They spoke on behalf of God, okay? And Jesus is saying that, that we need to look out for people today who say that they are speaking for God, but are not speaking for God. A true prophet speak, speaks God's truth, okay, uh, in God's name, and a false prophet speaks lies in God's name. And the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they both warn that we look out for these false prophets who are trying to speak on behalf of God, but actually aren't speaking on behalf of God. And the reason they're constantly telling us to watch out for them is because they are hard to spot, okay? You know, the kind of wild-eyed, crazy guy with a megaphone on the streets of downtown Toronto who says, the end is near, sell your land, come to the bunker with me up north in Algonquin somewhere, and escape the coming wrath. Kind of easy to spot. Probably a false prophet. How does he know that the wrath is coming? And what's this bunker stuff about me going up north? That sounds weird. Those are easy to spot. Those kinds of false prophets are pretty obvious. But, but the ones that Jesus is talking about are not like that. We're not talking Jim Jones or David Koresh type people here. Those of you who know who I'm talking about will understand my reference. You've got to be kind of old or like history. Jesus' point here is that they look like sheep, meaning, okay, they look like us. They look just like us. Normal, everyday, regular people. But here's the thing. The Bible calls us sheep not as a compliment, but as a bit of an insult. Sheep are gullible, okay? They're the most gullible of animals out there. And they're very, very needy. They're very, very dependent upon their, their shepherds. And Jesus is saying that, that these false teachers, these false prophets, they're going to come in and they're going to exploit that gullibility of, that we have. But they're very, very subtle about it. What they say is going to sound like just enough truth to fool us into thinking it's the whole truth, but it's actually not. They're super duper hard to spot because they look like us and they're super hard to spot because they come from us. They come from the church, okay? Acts chapter 20. Paul is going on his second missionary journey and he stops in, he, he stops in uh, near Ephesus and he meets with the elders of Ephesus and this is what he says to him. Listen, this is beginning at verse 28. He says... Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. Hear that again? Flock, sheep, that's what we are. And he's telling elders, keep watch over them. Why? Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even, this is verse 30, even from your own number, 
Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. They look like us on the outside. Inside, they are ravenous, ferocious wolves. More on that in point three, what that means. But the point is, is that because they look like us and because they come from us, they are extremely dangerous. They want to destroy the flock. They want, how do they want to destroy the flock? They want to eat it. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? Eat us? These false prophets want to eat us? Yes, they do. And I'll explain what that means when we get to point three. But that's point one, first of all. What they look like. They look a lot like us. Second of all, what kind of fruit do they bear? Or how do you identify them? Well, you look at the fruit, the fruit that they bear. This is verses 17 and 18. Likewise, Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, that word bad, it's the word for, like, rotten, okay? Decayed, putrid. You ever bite into a peach that's rotting? Peaches are the worst for them, say. They rot from the inside out often, and so they look pretty good, and you take a bite... And then you pull your mouth away and you're like, gross, right? And if you feel a little bit of the rotting flesh and taste it a, a bit, it's pretty disgusting. I know I used flesh, which made it even worse. Uh, <laughs> I did that on purpose. Um, the point is, is that if you eat this, Jesus is saying, if you eat their fruit, this stuff is going to kill you. Which makes sense because when he was talking about the broad road that leads to where, it leads to destruction. And so the fruit, the the bad fruit that these false teachers produce is actually going to lead you to death. What's their fruit? Their fruit is their false gospel. You eat that false gospel, you digest that false gospel, that false gospel becomes part of you. You eat rotten food, okay, and you digest it, and it becomes a part of you, and it affects who you are. But it's very subtle. Remember, Jesus says that there are slight differences, enough to be deadly, but if you're not careful, they might slip through. Let me give you four types of fruit, two classic types, two modern types, that we need to be on the lookout for. The first one is legalism, or what you could call perfectionism. This is... This is The gospel that says you're saved by grace through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, trust in him for what he has done for you. You receive the gift of salvation, and that's wonderful. However, in order for you to stay saved, in order for you to hold on to this salvation that has been freely given to you, you you need to do good works. You need to obey the law. You remain in Jesus Christ. So you're united to Jesus Christ by faith, but you remain in Jesus Christ by doing the right thing. By obeying. Now, that doesn't sound exactly wrong, does it? Because we're supposed to obey. What does Jesus say in John chapter 15? He says, or 14, he says, if you love me, you will do what I command. So we're supposed to follow Jesus' commandments. We're supposed to obey him, right? So on the surface, it sounds right. It sounds like, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like it takes God seriously. God is holy, right? Set apart, transcendent, pure, righteous, just. He cannot simply turn a blind eye to sin. He takes sin seriously, and so he should take sin seriously. And and we should take 
God seriously. And so this kind of view, it, 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 it emphasizes the holiness of God, but the doctrine of grace, it's kind of a weak idea. It's, it's kind of in the background. It's maybe the way you get into a relationship with Jesus, but it's not the way you maintain and cultivate your relationship with Jesus. The way you do that is by making sure you do the right thing. And I tell you, you know what this does? You know what this, what this what fruit it bears in people? It, it breeds irritable people who are frustrated with others who are not trying hard to obey. And proud people who look at the way other churches do things or the way other Christians do things and say, well, that's not the way to do things. I know the way to do things. The way I do things or the way we do things, that's the way you do things. It's when pastors say, the Grace Valley way is the only way. It produces anxious people because they're people who are constantly worried about whether or not they're in or they're out. Yes, they say, I'm saved by grace and so I'm in and God loves me right now even when I'm a sinner. But as much as he'll love me one day when I'm not a sinner, I know that's true. But underneath it all, there's this anxiety. You're going to bed every night going, am I keeping up my end of the bargain? It's bad fruit, man. That's the bad fruit of legalism. Now, another classic is the exact opposite of legalism. It's called antinomianism, big fancy word that basically means anti-law. And it says this, hey man, God is gracious, God is forgiving, God is deeply, deeply loving. He knows you can't, you can't keep the law, you can't obey to err is human. To forgive is, anybody know it? Divine, right? So we've got this great arrangement. You like to sin, he likes to forgive. We're both happy. Don't worry so much about trying to uh, obey God and, and trying to, to grow in holiness. You know, you, you got to realize that God accepts everybody because God is love. And so you're never really convicted even though on the surface it looks really good. You need to be told that God loves you. You're living with all kinds of guilt and all kinds of neur neuroticisms over your failures and your shortcomings. You don't need to come here and be told again and again just how bad you are. You need to be told how deeply loved you are. And so it looks really good, but it never actually like convicts you of anything. It, it never really produces a, 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 a self-sacrificial love for Jesus because frankly, what did Jesus come to? Yeah, 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 yeah. He died on the cross. I know. But really what Christianity is about, it's, it's about us advocating. Our job is not to just point out, you know, working on sin in ourselves. Our job is to advocate for the world, for the social issues that are very, very important to us. We don't emphasize conversion. We don't evangelize people and proselytize them. What we do is, is we work for a better world. Now, here's the thing. Both of those false gospels look pretty good on the surface, but what's the common denominator? They both minimize the cross. Legalists minimize the cross because really it's about them being super obedient. 
Antinomians minimize the cross because really it's not about Jesus' substitutionary death on, on, uh, uh, for our, our sake. And neither of them are calling you to actually die to yourself. They're simply calling you to work a little harder at whatever it is inside yourself you find. Now, we see that in two more modern examples of this, but they're there too. Let me explain them. I got a cold, so my mouth is getting dry all the time. Sorry. First modern false gospel, very popular in some places. It's called the prosperity gospel. Sometimes it's called the health and wealth gospel. Sometimes it's called the name it and claim it gospel. And basically it boils down to this. If you do the right thing, God has to bless you. He's got to give you a good life. Bad things should not happen to you. And if they do, if you have enough faith and you claim the promises of God, he will deliver. You're sick, you pray for healing, you'll be healed. If you're poor, you pray for wealth and you'll be wealthy. And if you're poor, but you're obeying properly and tithing uh, even beyond 10% and giving to the church, etc., God is going to turn that around eventually and he's going to make you, he's going to make you rich. Now this, friends, is not the narrow road at all. This gospel does not call you to live in your suffering, even though the gospel promise is that Jesus entered into our suffering and suffers with us, Okay. And you might go, I could never believe the prosperity gospel. Let me ask you, do you ever ask yourself, why do bad things happen to good people? And part of you goes, they shouldn't. That's the prosperity gospel. Nobody ever asks, why do good things happen to bad people? That's a gospel question. Why is anything good happening to any of us at all? So the prosperity gospel is one of them. But the other one that might be more familiar in our context is what, what a sociologist named Christian Smith uh, identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. MTD. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And it basically teaches this. God's not super involved in my life. That's the deism part. Meaning he created me, he created the world, that's fine. But now I just kind of go on my own and live my life as I want to. And all he really wants from me is that I be happy. And so uh, I, I, I pursue my goals that hopefully will help me be happy. And when I have trouble pursuing my goals and achieving them so that I'm not so happy, God comes in and helps me deal with those troubles so that I can feel good. That's the, the therapeutic part. He never has to challenge me. He never again has to convert, convict me. His job is to affirm me in virtually everything I want to do. And so the test of what should I want, how should I behave, is for me to look inside, figure out what I feel, figure out what I want, and then behave accordingly and trust that God will affirm that and occasionally help out in my mission to achieve my actualization. 
my satisfaction. And again, in this one, along, and that, by the way, that's like the, that's the young people one. Okay? That's the one that is sweeping over uh, the millennial and Gen Z generation. Uh, because this is a generation that has been raised on this belief that looking inside themselves is the place to go for your identity. Of course, if you look deep inside yourself and you find, you know, a right-wing, hard-right politician or something, you're, you're obviously, you've got to look deeper. Because there are certain things you're not supposed to find. But essentially, you're told to look deep inside yourself, figure out who you are, what you want, and then express that to the world and have the world, including God, affirm it. That's what you've been taught since you were like itty-bitty. You think I'm nuts? Arthur, the famous Arthur cartoon show. Believe in yourself, because that's the place to start. It's right there in their, their uh, little, what's that, what's that song at the beginning of a TV show? Your theme song, your jingle. Thank you. Now, why are these false prophets offering these things? Uh, this is the third point. Jesus says that they are ferocious wolves. Now, other translations don't use the word ferocious. They, they use the word ravenous. King James calls them ravening wolves. And the word there, it, it, it has the idea of being starving, insatiably hungry, okay? For you. That's what a wolf is. If you're a sheep and they're a wolf, they're hungry to get at you. They want to eat you. And now that sounds weird. But the word here for ravenous or, or ferocious, it also has the connotation of being a swindler or, or an extortionist, okay? Now, that's super hard to put in a translation of this parable that Jesus is teaching or this comparison that Jesus is giving, but knowing this helps us to understand what he's getting at. Remember before, Jesus would say things like, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, okay? When you give to the poor, don't be like the hypocrites. Why? Because those hypocrites were doing it for show, right? They were doing it because they were glory hungry. They wanted to be affirmed. They wanted to be appreciated. They wanted to be acclaimed. They wanted people to look up to them. They were looking to be adored by others so that others would say they're good people. They're looking for honor. They're looking for fame. Now, the human heart longs for that. We are all longing to be affirmed from the outside. Okay? It's the dumbest thing in the world that we sing believe in yourself because nobody can actually find the, the, the satisfaction, the joy, the poise, the strength of character that comes from just believing in yourself. If you ever saw me try to draw anything, it does not matter how much I tell you I'm an aspiring artist. You're going to be like, dude, stop believing in yourself. But we all have this longing for, for people to affirm us. And so, so here are these, these wolves, okay, who are looking for affirmation. And so what do they do? They use the gospel to get it. 
They don't preach about a narrow gate. They don't preach about uncomfortable things. They don't want to offend you. They're like the, the, the people that Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah chapter 6. Listen to what he says. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. They use the gospel to make you feel good. To make you feel okay. But they're just using you and me as a means to an end, you see? Now, it's, it's good to ask yourself the question, which, which of these false gospels that I've kind of thrown out for us to wrestle with, which of those are you most prone to believe? Are you, do you lean legalistically? Like... Honestly, if you really wrestle with your, how your heart works, do you go like, hey, I got to admit, I'm a pretty good person and I feel pretty good about how pretty good I am? Do you lean towards that one or are you an antinomian? And you kind of lean, if your heart, in your heart of hearts, you're like, hey, you know, I got my flaws, I know. I know I got my flaws, but God loves me, and so I'm just not going to worry about it so much. Is that sort of where you roll? Or you are, are you a, a modern, a, a, what is it again? Something ther moralistic, therapeutic deist. You're like, I know God has his rules, but I got my, my own set. And I know he doesn't like X, but if I do X, it really makes me feel good. And really, what all God really wants from me is that I be happy. Is that kind of where you lean? Are you resentful of God because you think you've tried all the things that he wants you to do and you're still not quite where you want to be in life? Are you a closet prosperity gospeler? It's a good question to ask yourself and wrestle with. Uh, but you should only ask that question if you plan on doing something about it. So what should you do about it? Well, look at verse 20. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, recognize the fruit. Turn from false fruit to good fruit. There are good trees that bear good fruit. There are bad trees that bear bad fruit. Which tree is a good tree that's bearing good fruit? Well, Jesus tells us that we can identify the fruit by the teaching. The truth only comes from the, the right tree. The good fruit only comes from the right teaching. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus talks about abiding in him. And he says something very interesting. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Aha! Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. So we can bear good fruit by abiding in Jesus. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, he helps us in John chapter 8. In verse 31, he says, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know what? The truth. And the truth will set you free. In other words, to abide in Jesus in this day and age, it means for us to abide in his word. To, to know the good fruit. And know it so well that whenever the bad fruit tries to sneak in trying to be good fruit, you go, ah, ah, counterfeit, 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 imposter, imposter, imposter. I will not listen to that. I will not bear that fruit. Imagine if you went home this afternoon and you got an email from me. And it said, greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
This is Pastor Paul. I am currently in sub-Saharan Africa, and I need money. Please click the link and provide your banking information in order that I might receive funds so that I can return to Canada. You'd read that and you'd go, well, first of all, I don't think Pastor Paul has ever said to me greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in an email. And wait a minute, didn't I just see him this morning at church? I think that was him in the pulpit. And it takes at least a day to get to sub-Saharan Africa. Now, maybe you're like, okay, maybe somehow he sent this. I don't know, maybe whatever. And you say, send me a picture. And I told you last week that I'm trying to lose weight. And uh, you get a picture back from five years ago when I was my svelte self. And I had a lot less gray and a lot more blonde. And you would say, wait a minute, this cannot be Pastor Paul. I know him. I just saw him this morning. He's a lot rounder, a lot grayer. This is not him. Why? You know the imposter because you know the genuine article. And so this is what... Jesus is calling us to do. Abide in the genuine article. You know, the most famous Bible passage about the Bible is 2 Timothy 3, verse, uh, what? 16. Where's my, I, I keep getting my, oh, here we go. There we go. Okay. 2 Timothy 3, verse th- uh, 16 says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why is Paul saying that in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3? Well, it's because he says this at the beginning of the chapter. He says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Thank God we have this book that has the word of God in it that can be trusted when you guys are going home and you got a few minutes after the kids are down for their nap or you've had something to eat and you're feeling a little sleepy yourself and you start scrolling in Instagram and TikTok and it's one story after another and one piece of information after another and it's one message after another. All of them false prophets telling you, go for it, you do you, find your path, live your truth, goes on and on and on and on, and you are being inundated by these messages. Thank God you have this word that you can trust among all the voices and all the cacophony around you. How much time are you spending there? Jesus says, you will know the truth. My word is truth. And the truth will set you free. Friends, we always end at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
He's the opposite of the wolf. He's a sheep through and through. In fact, he's a lamb. A lamb that was slain, who laid down his life for you and laid down his life for me. Now, when you see that in him, that he was the lamb who was slain, that looked at you and your sin and saw your, your, your shortcomings and your weakness and died for you anyway and held you and uh, your sin to his very self as he was plunged into God's wrath for sin and he buried it in the tomb so that when he rose up from the grave, he had you in his arms and he raised you from sin and death and hell as well. When that sinks into your heart, you know what you want? You want more of him. And more of his message of truth. And you'll bear the fruit of faith. Uh, next week, Mark's going to tell you what that fruit looks like. What, what does the real fruit look like? Obedience. It does. Not legalistic obedience. But love-induced and love-propelled and love-fueled and love-motivated obedience. Let's pray. Father... We praise you and thank you for the love that you show us. And we thank you for Jesus, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, who is our Savior and our Lord. Teach us to know his voice as his sheep and to ignore the voices of all those wolves in sheep's clothing that Try to give us a crown without a cross. May we trust our good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. In his name we pray, amen. I'm going to answer one question. Only one question because time is marching. Oh, sermon breakout. That's the theme song to Sermon Breakout. If you are in grade six or seven, you can join your teacher uh, in the Safe Families Room to go a little bit deeper into what the message was about this morning. This is the one question I'm going to answer. Does God want us to be happy in this life? He does. The thing is, though, there's turn... He does want us to be happy, but it's, it's, it's through dying to ourselves, rising to new life in which we want to honor and serve him that our true happiness will be found. He doesn't want us, you know, I, I like to think in analogies, okay? That help, helps me understand stuff. You know, you know the sugar high? God doesn't want you to just have sugar highs. Sugar high is when you... you eat a bowl of really sugary cereal or it's Halloween soon, you sneak uh, into your parents' stash before Halloween and you steal some candy and you eat it all up and you're bouncing off the walls in your bedroom or, uh, you know, you put way too much coffee in your sugar in your coffee so that your coffee is really a dessert and not a drink anymore. You get the sugar high and you feel great for a while, but what happens after the sugar high? You get the sugar crash. Right? And now you feel lousy and you're, you're very languid. I know, who, who uses that word? Sorry. Uh, you don't have energy. What is it? What's the word? Hmm? 
lethargic, that's the one. You're very lethargic and, and you don't feel good at all. And this is what the, the things of this world offers us. Shitter highs. God offers us deep, lasting, profound joy that does not go up and down with our circumstances, but actually sticks with us in the midst of all of our circumstances. doesn't mean you're not sad. Of course you're going to have sad times. You're going to have profoundly sad times in your life. I guarantee it. If you haven't had one yet, you just probably haven't lived long enough. That's all. But underneath that, there is a profound joy that no amount of suffering can take away. That's the gospel promise of God. That we will enjoy him forever, beginning now in this life. So yes, God does want you to be happy. But come on, his definition of happiness very often conflicts with our definition of happiness.